Stand by for action. Welcome, Welcome to, to AirZone Podcast number, number 10. 10. You cannot be serious! Oh yes, it's number 10. This is Carol Bailey, and today the AR Zone admin team will be joined by special guests Kari Bagnall of Jungle Friends Primate Sanctuary and Bob Ingersoll, who's the president of Mindy's Memory Primate Sanctuary and also features in the film project NIM, which sends out a very important message about human relations with other animals. Hi, everyone. Welcome. Hi, Carolyn. Hello. Hi, Carolyn. Hi, Carolyn. Hi, guys. The screening of Project NIM is part of a fundraiser for the Jungle Friends Primate Sanctuary Expansion Project. Can you tell us a little bit more about that, Kari, before we hear from Bob about Project NIM? Okay, yes. The expansion project, it's, it's very important to Jungle Friends right now because we have a rare opportunity to gain the room to grow with the land that has just come up for sale right behind our property so it's adjacent to our property it also happens to abut another primate sanctuary so with the 12 acres that jungle friends is on and then the additional 20 acres and then the other six for the other primate sanctuary it will be about 40 acres total so it's really important we we currently have about 30 monkeys on our waiting list and that includes some monkeys who are in laboratory research the monkeys just don't have the time to wait it out. If an appropriate home isn't available within their time limit, they could be killed, sold, or passed on to other undesirable situations. So it's really important right now that we expand the sanctuary. Too much so, Bob, can you tell us how... You came to be involved with Carrie and her expansion project and why you're going to be in Gainesville with Project NIM? Sure, Tim. I uh, saw Carrie at the recent animal rights conference in uh, Los Angeles, and I've known her for a while. And she mentioned to me that they had an expansion project going on and get this 20 acres next to them. And and I uh, offered to uh, maybe work out something with screening of Project NIM and me coming down there and she put it all together pretty much and so now uh we're uh going to do uh, a few screenings of project nim and have a fundraiser or two for this expansion project the the film i take it has been well received is is that your experience uh yeah my experience has been uh, beyond my wildest expectations we've actually been on the view uh, the TV show uh on american television if you're familiar with it and several other outlets we've been in pretty much every single major newspaper. It's, it's uh, 
I believe, released right now in the UK and uh, in Ireland this week. So, yeah, phenomenal reviews and great press coverage. We've been caught Rise of the Planet of the Apes movie, which is not hurting us, obviously. Yeah. And, and that movie in itself has a, has a pretty good message, actually uh, very similar to our film. So the two seem to be going hand in hand and, and uh, sending a, a, what I think is a pretty good message about you know, how we treat our fellow animals, in particular chimpanzees. Can you give us a brief synopsis of the film, Bob? Yeah, sure. Nim Chimpsky is a chimpanzee that was born in Norman, Oklahoma in 1973, and he was given to a professor at Columbia University named Herb Terrace. And Herb took Nim back to New York and uh, placed him in a family and a family group to be raised as a human baby and to be taught sign language. A former student of his, Stephanie Lafarge, took Nim into her family of I believe eight children actually, and and raised him for a couple of years as a human, the, as a baby actually, and then at about two years old, Nim was moved to a, a larger facility where he was taught sign language for a couple more years, and uh, then he was sent back to Oklahoma where I met him. How long did you know him? I actually knew him from the time he was about five years old until the end of his life when he was 26, and that the whole film actually pretty much a, a biography of Nim and, and his life. So it's Nim from start to finish, 26-year uh, life history, so to speak. Wow. Bob, what was your role in Nim's life? I guess you could say I've been described as Nim's best friend. And at one turn or another, I've had to do a few things that were difficult choices in order to do the right thing for Nim. And, and I think that part of that is shown in the film, and that's why I think a lot of people call me Nim's best friend. We've got a lot of positive response and a lot of nice comments about, you know, how I stood up for Nim. And I just feel like Nim would have done the same for me if the roles were reversed. Uh, I understand all, all the, the kind words, but you know, to me it was just what I had to do. I mean, you guys know what I'm talking about. I think that's something nice to be known as, as Nim's mm -hmm. best friend. Yeah, I'm, I'm very gratified. You know, it, it's, it's nice to hear that. And, and I, I consider... A, there are other humans in Nim's life that Nim loved as, as much as he loved me. Actually, he had a lot of good friends throughout his life, and in particular, uh, some of the people from New York that uh, didn't get to see him, see him after, he, after he was five years old still miss him very day. So, so Nim was lucky in the sense that he did have quite a few people that did care about him you know, while they were around him and didn't have a whole lot of opportunity to to do much else for him after he was out of their lives, but they, they certainly did love him. And I, I've run into a lot of those people now because of the film. I mean, Nim was essentially a, a research subject and uh, not a volunteer, obviously. But uh, I've, the only thing I've really seen about Nim is the trailer for the film. And I was really s struck by the fact that there was so many people calling Nim it during mm -hmm. just the trailer. And um, I was thinking, wow, you know, in, in terms of the fact that they knew him so well, and yet they're still prepared to call him it. And I just wonder whether that's really indicative of the depth of speciesism that, that exists. Oh, yeah, Roger, I, I totally agree. Actually, I've, I've seen that used a few times recently by a few people that are involved in them's life when uh, they've been interviewed recently. And 
And I, I do think it has a lot to do with the speciesism that's involved. I mean, this movie is about that, actually. I mean, at the root of all of this is the, the fact that we think that we can take a chimpanzee baby away from a chimpanzee mother, and that's okay. And fortunately, uh, that was 1973, fortunately we've come a long way since then, and, and I don't think anyone agrees that that's a good idea, but it still goes on. It's hard to believe it still goes on, but it does. I mean, here in the United States anyway, chimpanzees can still be sold as pets for mere $50,000 or whatever it costs, you can own yourself a chimpanzee. And uh, to me, that's just beyond belief. I agree, Bob. I find it amazing. Things like, I, I don't know if that sort of thing happening in Australia, but um, Carrie spoke about that in her AR Zone chat earlier this year. I think they, um, people refer to them as monk kids. <clears throat> yeah, they call them monk kids, and they steal them from their mothers as early as three days old and dress them up and pierce their ears and put it, makeup on them, yeah. and it's so it, crazy. I, yeah. We have macaques. We have caddis monkeys. I mean, if you've ever mm -hmm. seen adult paddis monkey you know this is an inappropriate pet we have a paddis monkey that was a pet at a, at a daycare center for a while i mean <laughs> insanity and uh, every now and again something happens it comes up in the news a monkey gets away and bites somebody attacks a police officer or some other uh, situation like that and everybody goes gosh wow how could this happen and then we forget about it and then two years later something else happens and you know, and, and it goes on and on and on. It, it it needs to stop, and there needs to there are some ways to actually stop this by let's say not letting people buy monkeys and move them across state lines for the purpose of commerce. Let's say, I mean, mm -hmm. uh, there are any number of ways, and uh, fortunately here in the United States, the topic is open now. I mean, uh, I, I think that there are several congressmen that have brought it up in session, and it just seems to me that the tide is finally turning uh, uh, but but it's still crazy and like carrie says we have no more room for all these animals that keep popping up all over the place and and we need some support in terms of legislation in order to stop the trade in flesh i mean that's what's going on here right. these animals are treated like property and, and that should that's just wrong and they're considered property under the law so right. they they don't have any rights at all and we are, as sanctuaries, we are not going to be able to rescue our way out of this. We've nope. got to stop it. Well, we've got an, enough on our hands for the next 50 years with just the animals that are, are either in research or in pet hands. Right. If we don't stop this, this is going to go on for several more generations before we get a handle on it. I mean, right. we have animals that are under eight years old, and they're going to live 35 or 40 years. So, mm -hmm. uh, and I'm almost 60 years old. So we're talking about a problem that's a pretty long-term problem that needs to be solved. Mm -hmm. In the time that you've been involved in this, which is 35 or, or 40 years, I guess, Bob, have you seen things in, in your mind, have, have things gotten demonstrably better? Or are, they, or are they worse or are they staying the same, do you reckon? You know, in some ways they're getting better. Because the public now at least understands and is having a dialogue about the problem. I don't think it's really gotten better in terms of the trade in exotic animals, especially in monkeys. I think that chimpanzees have been addressed, in, but still the trade does go on. It's just a, a less well-known and less chimpanzees are sold as pets, but it still does go on. So in some ways I do think it's gotten better, but in some ways I think it's stayed the same. There's a lot of money in this. I mean, people get 
fifteen, sixteen thousand dollars for a female capuchin is from what I understand, and Perry can probably verify that a little bit more. We've heard four or five thousand dollars for any number of macaque species, which I yeah. find hard to believe anyone would want to have a macaque for a pet. Uh, yeah. any, any macaque, a stump tail macaque, I love, but I just wouldn't want to have a stump tail macaque for a pet. It's yeah. inappropriate. There are plenty of dogs out there that need homes. There are plenty, exactly. of, there are plenty <laughs> of domestic animals at the shelter that are they're being what, 30 million a year being killed at the shelters while we're out buying monkeys? Yeah. And the problem is it's so lucrative. The, they say that the legal exotic animal trade is second only to the illegal drug trade. So there's so much money involved that it's very difficult to make it, you know, to do anything about it when there's so much money involved. And on the local level, that's just tax money. And that's the kind of things that make it very difficult for local legislation to go on in, in terms of stopping it because those people generally are fine, upstanding citizens in their local communities. So it, it's a really difficult and, and deep-seated and long-rooted problem. It's been around for a long time. Yeah, and with Project NIM get, getting viewed a lot and screened a lot and, and will be everywhere, hopefully, it's going to show that everything they did with this champ, I mean, from breastfeeding this champ and integrating him into a human family, it didn't work. You know, it doesn't work. So I think education, if we just educate people to know that not only doesn't it, it doesn't work for the chimp or the monkey, it doesn't work for the human, but these animals are literally being stolen from their parents. And that is wrong no matter how you look at it. And and they have the they should have the opportunity to be what they're born to be. Whatever species that is, they should have the opportunity to be around their conspecifics. And, and right. that means bonnet macaques should be around bonnet macaques and should be with chimps. It, it's time for us to be a little less arrogant and, and uh, get a grip on our place in, in the whole natural scheme of things. And, and I think that has changed. I think our, our, the, our outlook, at least here in the States anyway, has become a lot more sophisticated when it comes to that kind of stuff philosophically. Now, whether we act on it or not is another question. <laughs> well, uh, humans being less arrogant will get a big amen from AR's own, uh, Bob. There's no doubt about that. Um, going back to what Carrie said ab about you know, the kind of unnatural situation, I know there's been a lot of coverage about the aggression in NIM. And even in the trailer, there's this thing about, you know, or, you know, here's 39 stitches. But I, I know that in terms of the press coverage that, that they've focused on on the fact he got he got very aggressive. Now, do you, do you think that was just um, a natural outcome from you know not being able to express you know his kind of normal behaviour if you like? But also, do you think he was just being a chimp, and so in a chimp society that level of aggression wouldn't be a problem? It's just the fact that it was being expressed and articulated in the wrong place, if you like. Yeah, actually, I think there there are a number of facets that you take into consideration here. First of all, those people didn't know very much about chimpanzees or, or pretty much anything about chimpanzees, really, and they've even admitted as much. Uh, so that made it difficult for them to really deal with how, how to deal with him, him discipline-wise. I think it, it, in the film, certain people get bitten over and over again, and, and as we those of us have been around big chimps and kind of know how to be with a chimp, sometimes you just have kind of have bite me written all over you if, if the chimp <laughs> doesn't really like you or 
you don't really fit in in the sense that you don't know how to act in terms of a chimp, then you're, you're probably in trouble. And so uh, it, it's extremely delicate the older they get. And the older he got, the more aggressive he got. And some of those people didn't know how to say, hey, don't do that. And unfortunately, when you don't know how to say, don't do that, in one way or another, either, you know, your body posture or your general attitude towards the chimp or any a number of things, then you're bound to get bit. And uh, as far as I, I never, Nim never bit me, was never aggressive towards me. And if you've seen the film, you actually see me when he's 26 years old, stick my hand all the way down his throat pretty much. And, and he bites down delicately on my hand and then stops. So the aggression in chimpanzees is going to happen, though. I mean, they're chimps after all. And uh, you have to take that into consideration. You can't really blame Nim for being a chimp. And I think the filmmakers are really cognizant of, of Travis and, and some of those other uh, incidences with chimpanzees recently. And uh, and we actually talked about that. And I think that it was, you know, it was purposefully, at least partially in the film, simply because we don't want to give the wrong impression and, and that it's, hey, you re some people really can work with chimps. No people really can. I can't even. I consider myself to be as good a chimp person, let's say chimp handler or whatever you want to call that, as anyone in the world. And I'm not arrogant enough to believe that I can control a 26-year-old, 220-pound chimpanzee. Because you can't. He's a wild animal. He's going to do whatever the hell he wants to do. The, the aggression in, in all of these animals, including the monkeys, even the 40- or 50-pound monkeys, can, can do a lot of damage and, and have. Carrie can attest to that. Those little five, eight, ten-pound capuchin monkeys can really <laughs> you in a world of hurt too. I, I myself have been bitten more severely by capuchin monkeys than I ever got bitten by chimpanzees. <laughs> so yeah. that you yeah, know, anger amongst wild animals isn't limited to just the big chimps. Like I said, and Carrie, I'm sure can attest to this. Uh, those capuchin monkeys can really hurt you. Oh yeah, they're very. They can be so aggressive, and they're relentless. They just keep going after you. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's what happened to me. Six of them kind of got loose on and wouldn't stop. Was Ouch. Yeah. Yeah. What? Well, yeah. It was 22 bites before I finally kind of dealt with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we we we've got little kittens a bit like that. <laughs> Bob, I had two quick questions for you. I don't want to turn this into an overly academic uh, exercise, but I was wondering if you could speak to the idea that I've, there's some controversy over whether uh, great apes should be classed in the same grouping as human beings as far as, the, as far as the species classification or whatever you call it. And then the second question is what do you think of the idea that the language that's been shown to be taught to some great apes or people who claim that it isn't really language, it's something other than language. We, we just see it as language because that's what we want to see. On that first question, I think that for a long time we primatologists, and that's what my training is in, primatology, we've thought that humans should be in the pan uh, classification. Uh, pan prognathites, pan paniscus are the two chimpanzees, and, and uh, we've considered uh, ourselves chimpanzees or chimpanzees human one or the other uh, in in terms of the scientific classification so it just makes sense in terms of how all the un, uh, other animals are classified scientific to us anyway I, I'm, I'm sure it brings up a lot of controversy in uh, households and, and classrooms and that sort of thing but I think there's no question about it that you know there's definitely been a dialogue for a long time about that as far as uh, 
the sign language question is a little bit more complicated. Herb Terrace wanted to show that Nimchemsky could create a sentence, a, gramma a grammatically correct, syntactically correct sentence. That's a little bit more complicated than whether or not Nim could communicate using the sign language that he was taught. So, uh, you know, we could debate a lot of different things. I'm not even sure what language is, a definition that really actually fits into all the situations that you'd need in order for it to fit the criteria for which some of these questions are, are based on. So, uh, you know, I have a hard time, like I say in the movie, uh, I, I don't really care about that whole thing right now. Once I realize that chimpanzees aren't pets and shouldn't be, you know, treated in those situations, I, I kind of turn my attention towards, hey, these guys need our help in terms of getting out of these cages. So, uh, you know, I, I kind of join the other side from know because when i first started in this i was a scientist and uh now i'm obviously a an animal activist and have been for 35 years so so, uh, so it's really complicated yeah going back to what you were saying about in one group bob and the controversy about it you know quite, quite a lot of the ar's own admin they we, we you know we take part in public forums where we we talk to the public do, do a bit of kind of vegan education you know make it real man and all that and um but there's a lot of resistance within, you know, the people that we talk to for them to recognize themselves as animals at all. They resist that. And I think they'll probably be even more if we to say, well, actually, we're apes. I don't think they, I mean, they, do, they don't seem to like the idea that we're animals. They don't like the, to even self-refer as mammals. And I think if we were to call ourselves apes and say, well, that's what you are too, they would they would be pretty angry about it. So there's a real kind of disconnect there, which um, you know, th there's a, a job of education to be done, isn't there? Yeah, there is actually. A, I get a lot more resistance, let's say, when I teach this stuff in Oklahoma, as opposed <laughs> to when I teach it in, let's say, California. Although you know, it depends on where you are and depends on a lot of different things. Uh, a lot of this is all based on philosophy and long-term religious uh, situations. I, I myself am a Catholic. So, you know, I can I can imagine when I was a kid, if someone told me that I was a monkey or a, an ape or even related, that I, I wouldn't have liked it either. Uh, so it, it has everything to do with education because, I mean, we're all tied together. And it's fairly obvious. I mean, DNA and, and all, all new really, uh, amazing uh, breakthroughs in terms of the human genome and all the other animal genomes just clearly indicate that we're all tied together. And the sooner we get that, the sooner we can advance those kind of uh, things so that the treatments that used to use animals, let's say, can now be done uh, without having to, you know, use those animals. So embracing all this and having a scientific dialogue is, is very important. Bob, can you talk about sanctuary? I, I know you're you're the president of a sanctuary, and, and Carrie, you can speak to this as well, but... I I've seen people who who um, are critical of sanctuaries in general because they think that in I, I guess I'm not sure that I understand completely their criticism, but it seems that they think that sanctuaries are perpetuating a problem somehow. In that, I, I guess maybe some sanctuaries aren't life care facilities, and maybe some sanctuaries are are not the kind of sanctuaries that Carrie has. I'm, are you aware of the kind of criticism that I'm talking about? I'm not speaking very clearly, I know, but are you? have you heard about that, and what do you think about it if you have? 
Yeah, actually, I do understand that. And uh, there are several organizations that uh, fund us that have decided that before we can take an animal, let's say, from a university setting, that university has to write a letter saying that they're not going to that they're not going to replace that animal with another animal before they can fund its retirement at our sanctuary. Uh, so, so that's at least one aspect of that. And and for us, uh, that just doesn't even come up. If we can help the animal, we do. Uh, whether or not it gets replaced or not, that's not up to us to figure out. You know, we're a sanctuary. We take in animals in need, and and, and hopefully we won't have to get into that debate. Obviously, we're we don't want to uh, perpetuate any of this stuff. I mean, we, we don't advertise, hey, you know, we like pet monkey situations or, or research because we don't. But our main goal is to serve the individual animals. And, and, and so, you know, this is an extremely complicated situation because it has to do with how we fund ourselves. And I've had the same situation where I've had uh, monkeys in labs and they wanted, they were in drug studies and they just wanted to replace them because they had used them up and they wanted they were 30 squirrel monkeys and they just wanted them all gone and i called some of the the funding uh, organizations and they said not unless they end the research will we give you funding and i could not get the funding so they killed them all and as a sanctuary I want to just help every individual monkey or any animal that is in need, and I don't really care about the politics of it. I mean, I do. I certainly don't want them replacing them, but they are going to kill them and replace them either way. So I would have liked to have been able to offer them a home. And it's it's hard. It's you know we get have a lot of we hear about and see a lot of really tough things. One of the good things about being a sanctuary. And being, I can just walk out my door and see all of these monkeys having a great time. So I am able to every day see how monkeys are benefiting from sanctuary life. How much of a problem is it for you to have to spend the amount of time that you spend doing fundraising? <laughs> I hate it. <laughs> I would much rather be out cleaning up monkey poop than on the computer on Facebook. But... <laughs> Unfortunately, there's a lot of most of my time is spent fundraising. Yeah, me too. I, I'm, you know, I wish I didn't have to beg people for money, and I wish I didn't have that every opportunity, right in my Facebook window. Please make a donation. Here's our address. I mean, even my relatives are like, "Hey, listen, we donate on. We're we're tired of hearing about it." But but unfortunately, we need to have a certain amount of income every year, and we have to guarantee that because. There are lives at stake, and so uh, and, and we're committed to it lifelong. So we take our animals in; they're with us for the remainder of their lives. And so, it's one of the necessary evils. But I wish it was a little easier. And and unfortunately, we don't have a lot of time to uh, fundraise because we we have an extremely small staff. We only have two actually full-time people, and uh, we have over a hundred monkeys and, and various other animals that are in our care. So. It becomes a very difficult issue, and, and I'm hoping that maybe these kind of things, these Skype events and a little bit more publicity to the entire community puts the word out that we're out there in the front line trying to help these animals, and, and we're all in this together, every one of us.
listening to you both talk about fundraising, I'm reminded I was listening to uh, Nick Cooney's uh, presentation that he gives about uh, how to work towards creating social change, and he talks about doing some work in the with psychology and how to reach people. He's going to be our guest this weekend in an AR Zone chat, and so I, I'm, I'll probably ask this question of him as well. But what do you think about the idea that because the two of you are working with animals that aren't considered cuddly and cute and, and loving, and so dogs and cats in our society seem to get a lot of attention in the in the shelter and in the rescue world, and people are aware of that problem. Does that he makes the point that people do that because it's comfortable for them and because it's they can relate to it. And so the work that you guys do isn't relatable in that same way, and that causes a set of problems on its own. Do you think he's onto something there? I think there's a there's a little bit to be said, you know, in terms of the truth to that. Well, you have to realize though that there are 30 million dogs out there that they're being euthanized in shelters, so they can use every bit of help they can get as well. Yeah. Uh, I, I I you know I don't consider it to be a separate problem you know but i do understand how it's a little bit more hard to interface with the public because most people that want to come visit our monkeys or some of our members or people that have made donations uh, the first thing they want to know is can they hold a monkey or can they touch a monkey or can they bring their grandkid or whatever and and no we we don't do that that's not what we're about so that, that it's difficult because uh, working with uh, domestic animals, dogs and cats especially, you get to touch them and hold them, and it's a more direct contact kind of thing. It's, so I think there is a disconnect there at some le- on some level. Going back to uh, to Nim, I wanted to ask this question: Does Chomsky know about Chimsky, and did and was he featured in the film? He does know about it, and no, he wasn't. Uh, <laughs> you it, you it, missed it, a trick there, surely. Yeah, well, I guess uh, you know I. I think that Noam was actually invited to come and meet Nim at one point, uh, but I, don't, I think he turned it down. Or oh, maybe the other way around. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, yeah. I, I don't know. I haven't met Noam. I've met Nim, and, and Nim's, Nim was very uh, very gracious and lovable and fun to be around. Can't, I, I, you know, I can't speak for Noam. <laughs> well, I've, I've, I've met Noam. At least I've been to one of his lectures at UCD in Dublin, and, uh, yeah, he was Quite a cuddly monkey himself. So, yeah. <laughs> That's what I've heard. I, I read that Nim was named because the work that was that was supposed to be done with him was to, if if not disprove, then somehow contradict or otherwise, you know, criticize Noam Chomsky's work. Is that right? No. Oh, yeah. That absolutely. Uh, Herb Terrace was a graduate student of B.F. Skinner, who was the rival of uh, Noam in in the fifties. So yeah, there's. There's a definitely, you know, an academic rivalry going on there. Definitely. In the in the 70s, that's when uh, Chomsky was into his linguistic stuff, wasn't it? Right. In fact, exactly. Uh, he, yeah, he gave oh. an account of that uh, when he came to Dublin because I remember we got about 35 minutes in, and everybody was just about following what he said, <laughs> and he said, "Well, you know, now we turn from this simplistic thing to a bit more complicated stuff," and you could see everybody's kind of jaw kind of hit the floor because they thought, "Oh no, you know, we just we just thought we were hanging in there, and now you're going to get complicated." So. That deep structure stuff is a little bit hard to digest or understand or anything. What's the message that you hope that people get from seeing the film and learning about Nim? Well, I hope that they realize that captivity, uh, I mean, I think that the, this film's actually, in terms of animals, is a 
about captivity and the dr dramatic effect it has on the psyche of the animal. And probably the one of the, the more moving moments in the film, the person that you'd think is a villain, a uh, person from the lab actually says it, it's the cage that, that, you know, once, you know, you have to put an animal in a cage in order to do research. And from there, it's all downhill. And <laughs> there's no question about that. So, uh, so I think that the film's about captivity, but it's also about a lot of other stuff that comes up and about human arrogance and about how we treat each other and, and how uh, those kind of things affect us long term. I'd like to thank both Bob and Kari very much for spending their time with us today. I've really enjoyed the conversation and I've learned quite a bit from it as well. So thank you very much. Before we finish today, Kari, would you like to tell us a little bit more about the Jungle Friends expansion fundraiser that's coming up and particularly about the different events you have. I sure would and Bob I want to thank you so much for making this happen <laughs> by bringing Project NIM to Gainesville. Uh, what we're doing is Project NIM is going to be screening uh, September 23rd through the 29th and Bob is going to be here at the sanctuary the entire time and is going to be doing talkbacks and discussions after the films. So everyone will be able to learn a lot more about the, not only the film, but about the problem and things that people can do to help us with the, the ongoing problem. And our monkeys have all been painting. We're going to have a monkey art exhibit. So we'll have all of the monkeys art on the walls at the uh, Hippodrome Theater, which is where the screening is taking place. And of course, monkey art is all the rage and makes great Christmas gifts. And you, you got you got you got a picture from Tim, is that right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, of course. And the big event is going to be our VIP, which stands for Very Important Primate Jungle Jamboree, which is going to be Friday night. September 23rd before the first show. It's going to start at 4 in the afternoon and go to 6.30 and you'll be able to meet Bob and talk with him and also Elizabeth Hess will be on hand to uh, sign her books. She wrote the book Nim, Nim Chimsky, The Chimp Who Would Be Human, which is what the film is based on. So she will be here to talk about her book and get to meet her and, and have your book signed. So it's just going to be really great. It's going to be a wonderful event. We are hoping to make a ton of money and buy that property behind us. And uh, it'll be great. So we've got people coming from L.A. and New York all coming to Gainesville. So you never know who you're going to run into here. So I'm hoping everyone will come and join us. For more information about the uh, Project NIM and Born to be Wild Monkey Art Exhibit, you can go to our website, which is junglefriends.org, or call the sanctuary, 386-462-7779. Um, Bob, I had a question. A year or two ago, I was invited to a primate, primate sanctuary here in Texas, and I was really touched by the individual stories of the, all the animals that live there, and as well as the plight of the sanctuary trying to keep the doors open in these difficult financial times. Um, is there anything you could say to address that and how your sanctuary is staying afloat and the kind of help that where people might be able to help in some ways? Well, yeah, actually, the name of my uh, sanctuary actually run by Linda Barkley, our uh, wonderful director, is called Mindy's Memory Primate Sanctuary. And most of our donations, over 60 percent, are from regular people out there that send us $20 a month, $15 here, $100 there, 
and that pretty much sustains our work. So if you'd like to support us, we're on the web at uh, mindysmemory.org. We have a Facebook presence, and, of course, you can find me, Bob Ingersoll, on Facebook if you'd like, and, uh, and you can uh, interact with uh, Mindy's Memory through that. It, one of the more difficult things is to, to fundraise, and, and it, it's difficult to know that, you know, if we had more funding, we could help more animals, and we're approached all the time about animals uh, that we could help uh, that we just can't because we don't have the money. So, uh, so hopefully, uh, if, if you could uh, support Mindy's Memory Primate Sanctuary, uh, that would be great. And my Facebook uh, page is Robert Ingersoll. Thank you, Bob. Sure, thank you. Thanks, Bob. I appreciate the offer. You know, the opportunity to speak uh, with you guys today. I'm too much monkey business. I'm too much monkey business. Too much monkey business for me to be involved in. Oh, oh, oh.